Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Here at Back Creek Church, we are focused on connecting people with the hope of the gospel. With this week's message, here's Pastor Matt Carr. We're in the the New Testament book of Colossians, Paul's letter uh, to the church at Colossae. And we're in chapter 1. And today we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 29. So finishing the first chapter of Colossians today. Uh, In the movie, uh, The Karate Kid, uh, Mr. Miyagi introduced to Daniel-san the the practice, the discipline of bonsai. Uh, And for a long time, I assumed that the bonsai was a kind of tree. But it's not. It's actually a discipline. It's actually an art form, a horticulture formed uh, that is, it can be used on most any species of tree to create a miniature version of that tree. And the way that that is done in many cases is to initially tie off the taproot and some of the main feeder roots and then later to prune all of the roots to limit their ability and to limit their potential to go deep and to produce natural growth. Well, the only way for us as Christians, we've been, singing, we've been seeing in Colossians, to grow to the full potential that God has for us in Christ, that God created and redeemed us for, is to be deeply rooted in Jesus, to be deeply rooted in Christ. And in this first part of Paul's letter to the Colossians, We've seen that to be deeply rooted in Christ means to receive and rest in Jesus, to embrace the good news of his life and his death and his resurrection for sinners, to express our relationship with him and our dependence on him through prayer, and to experience the life change and the hope that only this good news, the gospel, can bring. The hope of the gospel, we said last Sunday, is that the one who is above everything has already done everything so that you can have everything and overcome everything. That hope changes everything, and Jesus has called us to share it with everyone. Connecting people with the hope of the gospel. That's our mission. That's my mission, personally. That's your mission, personally. And that's our mission as a church, connecting people with the hope of the gospel. It's why we exist. And today's passage calls us to meditate on our mission. So look with me at Colossians chapter 1. And if you're able, please stand in honor of God's word as we read verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of, this, of the glory of this mystery, which is, in, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word and ask for his help. Oh, Lord, our God, I pray that you would impress on us once again the glory of the hope of the gospel and the urgency of the mission that you have given to your people. Lord, I pray that we would be so moved and so motivated by the hope that is ours in Christ, Lord, that we would move out into the world and we would share it with others, that we would not be able to keep our mouths closed in telling others the good news of a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Lord, we have this treasure in jars of clay, and I pray that you would help us to treasure it indeed, and therefore to share it with as many as we can possibly share it with. And that we would do so out of love for you and love for them, that you may be glorified, that your people may be blessed, that your kingdom may be extended, and that your church may be beautiful. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The big idea of this passage is simply we have a mission. We have a mission. A mission is an important task or duty assigned to someone. I loved Sesame Street growing up. Uh, And Several of the segments from Sesame Street have stuck with me all of my life. I just remember them so well. And one of the ones that sticks out the best uh, to me and basically comes out anytime I see or think about a grocery store uh, is the segment where the mother tells her young daughter uh, to go to the store and she gives her a list and says, now I want you to remember this list. If you need me to, I'll write it down for you. She tells the child, I want you to go to the grocery store and I want you to get me a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. And she repeats it, a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. And all the way to the store, this little girl is saying to herself, a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. A loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. A loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. She gets there, she goes to the grocer, she says, can you please help me, sir? My mom sent me to the store with this money to buy a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and she waits, she tries to remember, and then she does, and a stick of butter, and the grocer gives it to her, she gives the money, and then she bebops on home with these things, gives them to her mother, and uh, she says, mommy, I remembered, and her mommy gives her approval, you have a good memory, honey. Sometimes I forget I forget the task with which I have been entrusted and I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded that Jesus is the most important person who has the most authority to assign the most important task. And he has, to me, to you, to us. 
He has given us the task of the Great Commission to go and make disciples. The way that we say it as Back Creek is connecting people with the hope of the gospel. And it's not just for apostles like Paul. And it's not just for preachers like me. Everyone who is rooted in Christ has the same exact mission. And even though Paul is writing about his particular role in this mission, there are principles that apply to all of us because we share with Paul the same mission. And I want to be clear here that while we all have the same mission, we all have different vocations. A vocation is the occupation or inclination for which you personally are especially designed, suited, trained, qualified, or drawn to. It's your work. It's your gift that you have to offer the world. It's your role in your family. Those are our vocations. But your mission? Well, it's the same as Paul's. Your mission is the same as mine because it's ours. We have a mission. And this passage helpfully reminds us of three essential parts of our mission. The first is this, the cost of our mission. The cost of our mission, and that cost is a ministry of suffering and stewardship. The cost of our mission is a ministry of suffering and stewardship. We see that in verses 24 and 25. Paul says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The cost of our mission is suffering. And Paul connects the reality of his suffering to, as a result of his mission to the sufferings of Christ in our redemption. And we know that Paul was required to suffer for the mission of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul rehearses his sufferings. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. We have a tendency to believe that if we are faithful to the Lord, and if we, quote unquote, do the right thing, that everything will work out comfortably. I have heard pastors say the safest place to be in the whole world is right at the center of God's will. But I would remind us that the Apostle Paul was right in the center of God's will and it hurt. I would remind us that Jesus was in the very center of God's will his entire incarnation. And he was crushed. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Jesus himself said that what was necessary to follow him, to join him in his mission of making all things new was to deny ourselves and to take up an instrument of intense suffering, to take up our cross. And it's pretty obvious to us that 21st century Americans don't face the kind of suffering that Christians did in the first century under the Roman Empire. Now, Paul is writing to the Colossian church from imprisonment. And we rejoice in our freedom to worship God openly without the threat of persecution that Paul faced or that so many of our brothers and sisters around the world face in places like North Korea and China and Afghanistan and Myanmar and parts of India. So what does this call mean for us? If the cost of our mission is suffering, what does that look like for us? Honestly, I think it means that we need to face our addiction to comfort. Our addiction to comfort that frequently keeps us from fulfilling our mission to connect others with the hope of the gospel. It's hard to imagine what it would be like to walk through the kinds of suffering that, say, like our, our brothers and sisters in Nigeria experience when they are gathering for worship and are frequently attacked by terrorists. And it's hard for us to imagine that kind of suffering because, quite frankly, we have a hard time making a conversation awkward by mentioning Jesus to our coworker or our family member or our neighbor or our friend. It's just so uncomfortable. And our mission requires discomfort. It is a ministry of suffering. Now Paul says in his sufferings that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now what he is not saying in any way is that Christ's suffering for our redemption are in any way insufficient. We know that because Paul spent the entire passage that we looked at last week telling us about Christ's sufficiency as a result of Christ's supremacy. Jesus is not in any way insufficient and neither are his sufferings. So what does he mean when he says that he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? He means that the gap between the fully sufficient work of Christ accomplished and the application of that redemption to everyone for whom Christ died, that that gap is filled by the suffering of Christ's body on earth, the church. That what Christ accomplished on the cross has to be declared to the nations. And that there is going to be a period of time between the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ in which his church has a mission and a ministry of suffering. As we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow in the footsteps of the suffering servant who has liberated us from sin. If we are going to fulfill the great commission, it is going to cost us. It is going to cost us our time as we pray for and engage with those who do not yet know Jesus. It is going to cost our talent as we use our unique gifts to further God's mission in the world instead of using them for our own benefit and pleasure. 
It's going to cost our treasure as we give our money to the church and to missionaries who are taking the good news of Jesus to the world. And it might even require a greater treasure than that. Have you ever considered whether God might call you to leave what is familiar and what is comfortable to go to some other place, either domestically or internationally, so that you can be a frontier missionary somewhere else to declare the good news of Jesus? Have you ever once, just for a moment, considered whether you might be called to missions in a place that you're not familiar and comfortable in? Are you prepared for that call to be on the lives of your children? Are you prepared to leverage your current social and occupational influence or status, whatever it may be, for the sake of the mission? Are you ready in small ways and large to join Christ and to join Paul and to join our brothers and sisters all over the world in this ministry of suffering? Well, that's where the stewardship comes in. A little while ago, the Joneses and the Grahams stood before you to to make the promise to exercise faithful stewardship of God's resources entrusted to them for the furtherance of God's kingdom and purposes. If you're a member, you have made that same promise, that same vow to see everything that you are and everything that you have now and forever as from God and as a ministry stewardship for God. And when we do that, it will not be without cost. And it will not be without suffering. The cost of our mission is a ministry of suffering and of stewardship. And it is worth it. Why? Because the content of our mission is a mystery of riches to be revealed. The content of our mission is a mystery of riches to be revealed. Paul says the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And last week Paul defined the hope at the center of our mission That the one who is above everything, Jesus, has already done everything in his life and death and resurrection. That you can have everything, forgiveness of your sins, reconciliation with God, adoption into his forever family, eternal life, hope for today. And overcome everything, whatever suffering, sorrow, or struggle comes. The content of our mission is, according to Paul, the word of God, which for ages and generations was a mystery. I guess this is um, my Sunday for 80s movies references. But in The Goonies, uh, there are a group of misfit kids. And in an attic one day, they find a gold doubloon and they find a map. And this map purports to be a treasure map that will lead them to the booty, the treasure of the infamous pirate, One-Eyed Willie. And these kids go on a journey and an adventure to find this treasure. The story of the Old Testament is a great adventure story 
that leads us to a treasure of unimaginable riches. But this story unfolded like a treasure map. There were clues all along the way. There were revelations all along the way of the treasure, but it remained profoundly a mystery until Jesus. And when the word of God, who was God and was with God, took on flesh and dwelt among us, he told us that he was the treasure the map had been pointing to all along. In chapter 5 of John's gospel, Jesus is teaching the the spiritual leaders of his day, those who were supposed to be experts in reading the map. They were the ones that were more familiar with the map than anybody. They knew it like the back of their hand. They were supposed to be the experts in interpreting the map and finding the treasure. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. After he rose from the dead, Jesus met two disciples on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem. You can find this account in Luke's gospel, chapter 24. And he disguised his identity so that they did not recognize him. And they were very disappointed because they thought that Jesus was going to be the Messiah who would liberate the Jewish people from their Roman oppressors. And he he rebukes them and he says, do you not understand that God's Messiah was to come and, and suffer and die so that he might redeem his people? And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus and his gospel are the riches of God finally revealed that had been a mystery for ages and generations. I'm just now realizing how old all of my illustrations today make me seem. But do you remember Ed McMahon and the Publishers Clearinghouse? Okay, if you're younger than me, (laughs) Ed McMahon was a talk show personality. He hung out with Johnny Carson. And uh, he also worked for this organization called the Publishers Clearinghouse, and they did uh, like a, a kind of a, a lottery uh, where you would enter the Publishers Clearinghouse. It didn't cost money, but, but they would occasionally uh, go up to someone's door, and they would knock on someone's door, and they had balloons, and they had a, a giant check, and they would open the door, and then Ed McMahon and the Publishers Clearinghouse would greet these people with a huge smile, and they would change their lives and make them happy. You won the Publishers Clearinghouse. Here's a lot of money. And it was really fun to watch. And wouldn't that be an amazing job to have? Just changing people's lives and making people happy? Do you get it? Like, wouldn't that be so much fun to be Ed McMahon? Well, I mean, he's dead now, but you know what I'm saying. Wouldn't that be fun to just just throw open doors and change people's lives and make them happy? My brothers and sisters in Christ, we get to be Ed McMahon to the infinite degree as we share with people the treasure that was a mystery for ages and generations, but now the riches of God have been revealed in Christ, and we get to go to everyone who is currently in poverty and tell them, here are the very riches of God. We have the greatest treasure 
in the history of the world. Publishers Clearinghouse and the Powerball ain't got nothing on us. And sinners, no matter who they are or where they are from or what they have done, can be redeemed and reconciled to God. They can inherit eternity and the cosmos as co-heirs with Christ. The mystery has been revealed. The treasure is available to all. And our mission is to knock on the door and change people's lives and make them happy forever and show them how to be rich. And we're to show them Christ in us. The hope of glory. The cost of our mission is a ministry of suffering and stewardship, and it is worth it because the content of our mission is a mystery of riches that have been revealed in Christ. And lastly, we see the culmination of our mission. The culmination of our mission is a maturity in wisdom and work. A maturity in wisdom and work. Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What is the result of our mission? What is Paul aiming for? He wants the Colossian Christians to grow. And we saw that Last week, we saw that he wants multi-dimensional growth for them. He wants spiritual growth. He wants relational growth. He wants missional growth for the Colossians. He wants them to grow to maturity in Christ. He wants them to grow to be more and more like Jesus. That is his goal. And the intended culmination of our mission as well, that we would so grow up in Christ, spiritual growth, that we could be effective in helping other people, relational growth, Come to know Jesus and then grow to be like Jesus. Missional growth. Paul's strategy for doing so is to warn everyone. And in this letter, he's actually actively warning the Colossians. He's warning them about the false teaching of a Jesus plus gospel. And that is an appropriate warning for us to give as well in our culturally Christian context. To remind people that it's not Jesus plus Not Jesus plus comfort, not Jesus plus security, not Jesus plus accumulation, not Jesus plus political power. No, Jesus plus nothing is everything, right? But it's also important for us to recognize that our context, while still culturally Christian, is rapidly moving toward post-Christian, and we need to warn people about the danger and the meaninglessness of a life lived apart from a relationship with God. We need to warn people that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And not only does Paul warn, he also teaches. And he returns again and again to the content of the mission. He has a mystery to uncover. He has riches to reveal. And that means he has work to do. He says, for this I toil, struggling. Maturity in our mission requires wisdom, and it requires work. And as we work, it bears fruit in the maturity and the wisdom and the work of those for whom we work, multiplying the mission beyond us. One of the hallmarks of our comfort in 21st century West is an institutionalized church where we pay employees to do the work of ministry. I'm going to say that again. One of the hallmarks of our comfort 
in the 21st century West is an institutionalized church where we pay employees to do the work of ministry. They work to develop wisdom in Christ, and then they dispense that wisdom to us. They work to share the gospel with our neighbors and with the nations so that we can be comfortably focused on our various vocations. That's how it works. Now, I want to be clear. The Bible is not opposed to the church paying those who labor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And for that, I am glad. God's word encourages that. But being a pastor, that's my vocation. Just like your vocation is to be a mom or a dad or an uncle or a student or a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or an engineer or a software developer, right? Being a pastor is my vocation. My mission is the exact same as yours. Your mission is the exact same as mine. And one of the things that scripture tells us is that my vocation uniquely, exists to equip you for our mission. My vocation exists to equip you for our mission. You don't pay me to do the work of ministry. You pay me to equip you for the work of ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is what we want. We want multidimensional growth, spiritual, relational, missional growth. And we want it just like Paul does for everyone so that we can be effective in our mission of connecting people with the hope of the gospel. If that is happening for you right now through the ministries of our church, wonderful. I want to celebrate that with you. But if that is not currently happening for you through the ministries of our church, I would love to know what we can do better to serve you in your growth toward maturity and your growth toward fulfilling the mission that God has given to you and to us. Please reach out to me soon, this week, and tell me how we can help you. My vocation, my calling is to toil and struggle with all the energy that God provides for the culmination of our mission and the maturity of our members and those that we are seeking to reach. The cost of our mission is a ministry of suffering and stewardship. The content of our mission is a mystery of riches to be revealed. The culmination of our mission is a maturity in wisdom and in work. Paul says these words, and this is a wonderful summary of our entire mission. Him we proclaim. Can y'all say that back to me? Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. And in his first letter to the church at Corinth, he says that partaking in this supper in which we are about to partake, the celebration of what God has done for us in Christ, that it is a proclamation of the death of the Son of God until he comes. See, our mission 
starts right here. Our mission starts right here in the presence of God, together with the people of God, sitting under the word of God and sitting around the table of God. Here in worship is where the Lord meets us. Here in worship is where the Lord communicates to us the benefits of redemption. This is where God fills up our cups so that we can go out into the world having been filled with the hope of the gospel yet again and share it with others with bold hearts, with open mouths, with compassion and desire to see our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family discover the riches that have been revealed in Christ. And so this is a time and a place for the people of God. Those who have turned away from themselves, whether they're rebellion against God or their attempts at righteousness for God, and look away from themselves and look to Christ alone, to his righteousness, to his death in their place, to his resurrection from the dead and the victory that he has won for them to his ascension to the Father's right hand where he never stops interceding and always, in a special way, meets us around this table to be nourished, to be strengthened, to be filled up so that we can go out into the world and be poured out for the sake of our mission. Now this table is for those who know Christ, for those whose sins are forgiven. For those who are willing to examine themselves, to name their sins, and to receive the forgiveness that is always available to them in Jesus because of his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross, his body given, his blood shed. Now, if today you do not yet know Jesus, we would ask you to allow these elements to pass you by as they come around, and we do that out of respect and out of love for you. The scriptures warn that those who partake of these elements apart from faith in Christ or in open rebellion against God eat and drink condemnation on themselves. That is not our desire for you. We don't want you to be condemned. We want you to be saved. And so today we would say, don't take this supper, but please today, today, take the Savior. The scriptures tell us that today is the day of the Lord's favor. Today is the day of salvation. May it be so for you. But if you are Christ's, and his invitation to you is to come to this table and to be filled spiritually with his body and his blood, that you might go out into the world, that you might suffer, that you might steward, that you might go with wisdom committed to the work, that you might take the riches of Christ to those who need them. Let's pray to the Lord and ask for his blessing on our time together around his table. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this supper. We come to this table mournful because it is our sins that cost you the humiliation of the incarnation and rejection, and death, and the tomb. But Lord, we come celebrating and full of joy to this feast. Because Lord, it was in the darkest moment in the history of the world that light shined in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. And through it, you have liberated and saved your people. You are making all things new and you're starting with us. And Lord, we can do other 
We cannot do other but to celebrate what you have done as we partake of this remembrance, as we meditate on the body of Christ given for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. We give praise to you and we celebrate that we are free from the tyranny of the devil, that we are free and made new, Lord, so that we never, that we do frequently sin, that we never have to, that we are no longer bound to our sinful nature, that we have been set free, that we can resist temptation and we can glorify you in our bodies, remembering that they were bought with a price. Lord, we come celebrating that we have been reconciled to you and reconciled to one another. We come celebrating that we have a mission in this world that cannot fail because Jesus who died is risen and reigning. Lord, we come to this table in eager expectation that you will meet us here and that you will feed us here, that you will provide for us, that you will nourish us, and that you will strengthen us. Lord, we pray especially that you would do so today with regard to the mission of connecting people with the hope of the gospel. Lord, we need your help. We are weak, and we boast in our weakness because, Lord, your strength is made perfect in weakness, and we ask, Lord, today and tomorrow and this week that in our weakness that you would demonstrate the strength and the power of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, we pray that you would take these common elements of bread and the fruit of the vine and that, uh, Lord, these things will remain common elements as we partake of them, but we pray that you would commit them to a holy purpose, that we would spiritually feed on the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and so be blessed and equipped. And we ask these things in his name and for his glory. Amen. You can find additional sermons and learn more about our ministries by heading to backcreekchurch.org. We'd love to see you in person for our worship service at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Thanks for listening.